So one of the things that I love about our intro lunch is that we get to give visitors and new members a, a brief tour of our church. And one of the things that I tell them is that the history of Woodmont really is a history of its architecture. Each addition to the church tells a, a different story about Woodmont's growing ministry over the last eight decades. In fact, we're going to celebrate the 80th anniversary of the church in July. And so a favorite story of mine as we walk through the mansion part of the church is how the original congregation would worship downstairs as the Drawoda family lived upstairs. And they say that you could smell whatever the Drawodas had on the stove for lunch that day while people were worshiping. So I'm guessing that taste and see the Lord is good took on a whole new meaning for, for Dr. and Mrs. Drawoda. So memory is a tricky thing. And I find that as I get older, the names of, of details of people and places from my past don't come as readily as they used to. And so I would love to believe that it's because of all the knowledge and wisdom that have been packed into my life over the years. But I was talking to a group this past week of friends and discovered that I am not the only one. In fact, we, we all agreed that it had something to do with the amount of information we find ourselves processing now as opposed to 20 years ago with news and, and social media and books constantly at our fingertips. The effect is that we forget the most obvious things. And so my mom, who, who lives with us, she has what I call a sanctified memory. So we'll be telling stories together of all the things that happened when we were young and someone will bring up something that, that we did that we got into a little bit of trouble for and my mom will have absolutely no memory of that. None whatsoever. She remembers the things that over 88 years of life brought her, her joy, especially the close friends that she had. She also remembers when it's Tuesday, every single Tuesday, that I need to take out the trash. So thank you, Mom, for remembering that. Now, my amazing wife, Susan, she can remember every conversation that we had. Her memory is so good that she is able to remember conversations that we had and things I said I would do that I have absolutely no memory of. She has an amazing memory. When my father was in his final year of life and experiencing cognitive decline, he was having difficulty articulating um, the things that he wanted to remember. So on one visit to New Orleans, I pulled out some of the old slide carousels that they had in a closet that had pictures of my mom and dad going all the way back to the 1950s. And I set up a, a projector and a screen in the living room and for two whole nights, we went through about 40 years worth of slides so what was fascinating as we progressed through those slides of, of his and mom's engagement or trips they had taken together with friends is that he spoke up and identified every one of the people in the pictures and also the places that they had been. His memory came alive and each of those experiences represented for him something significant that he wanted to share with his family. So all through the Bible, we see memory carry transformative impact on people's lives. What the people of God remembered together shaped their mission together. 
And so in the Old Testament, as the Israelites were crossing over into the Jordan River, into the new promised land where God had led them, they set up stones in the middle of the river to serve as a reminder to them of God's presence and power in that deliverance. And in remembering God's act of deliverance, they were also remembering this. They were remembering that they were a people who had been delivered. So just like each architectural addition to this church, the stones served as a visual reminder that their God was with them in each successive generation of living in the land. And the very same God who had empowered them long ago, years ago, would continue to be their deliverance and their strength. So in the New Testament, it's no accident that in the book that gives us the history of the early church, the book of Acts, that the story begins with the powerful experience of the day of Pentecost. So Jesus has already ascended into heaven. The apostles have been told to wait in Jerusalem for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 2, we hear that as the people gathered from all over the world at the temple in Jerusalem for worship, the apostles are gathered in an upper room where what, what sounds like a mighty rushing wind blows through the room, it sweeps through the room, and above their heads appear tongues of fire. Now, if this weren't bizarre enough, the apostles then become able to speak in the language of each of the group of people who are gathered there in the temple. In fact, the apostle Peter gives this rousing speech calling the people to repentance and then to lean into and live into the power of God's spirit, which they are witnessing right then and right there. And that's the beginning of the church. And it wasn't worked out in committee. There was no strategic plan with Gantt charts and spreadsheets that developed over months of how this fledgling group of Jesus followers were going to transform the world with the presence of Christ. It was begun in God's power and with people responding to a message of grace and mercy and forgiveness and Jesus-shaped community. So what's even more telling to me is how they react to this experience. They meet every single day together. They meet in the temple. They meet in people's homes. They share meals together. They share stories with one another, some of whom have actually seen and heard the things that Jesus did and taught while he was alive. They share all of their possessions in common with one another, and we are told that there was not a single person who had anything that they needed because they shared their things with each other. And the writer of Acts even puts a number to all of this community and sharing. He says that there were 3,000 people who become followers of Christ as a result of this outpouring of God's Spirit. And here's what I want you to remember about that story, because it's a great story. But the thing that makes me have incredible respect for the early church is how they owned this as their story when they would gather together and they would swap tales of, of how the church got started, of how they got started, they would always come back to remember what God did on Pentecost because that is who we are. 
You know, sometimes after I've had a, a week of long church meetings of planning and organizing and administering and meeting and more planning and more organizing, I honestly feel like I just need a little bit of Pentecost in my life. How about you guys? So I love the quote from the poet Maya Angelou. She says, I have great respect for the past. If you don't know where you've come from, you don't know where you're going. And Pentecost can be a little scary. Pentecost can be a little scary because it means waiting on God. Pentecost can be a little scary because God may have plans that are not my plans. Pentecost can be a little scary because it means trusting God for God's provision so that God can take me to a place that God sees and I can't see. Pentecost can be a little scary because I am confronted squarely with life's mission that my life matters and I have a purpose. I'm invited to see my life as a divine blessing and step into my role, to steal a phrase from St. Francis, as a channel of God's grace and peace. And the good news is that I don't have to do this alone. From start to finish, we are surrounded, like the author Hebrews says, by a cloud of witnesses who have gone before us and whose stories we remember and we tell, but also a cloud of witnesses who stand with us now, seated to your right and to your left, in front of you and behind you, of people that God has called together and joined together to be with us on this journey, to be the body of Christ. And in the body of Christ, we are surrounded by others who pour encouragement and wisdom into us as we are ready to be the same and to do the same for others. And so as we celebrate a weekend that's oriented around memorializing and remembering, here are four spiritual, what I call Memorial Day spiritual practices that we can engage to be a church that looks back to see ahead. So here's the first one. Be thankful for someone who has poured encouragement and life and wisdom into your life. In fact, you might even want to write that person's name down on your bulletin as a way of remembering them and honoring them. Just a person who has poured into you so that you are the person you are today. So this past Monday, I did something I rarely do. I popped into the Geezers group on Monday afternoon as they were sharing stories of important people in their lives who had been mentors and coaches to them. In fact, I stepped in just at the time for Roy to ask me to share who my mentor had been growing up in the 90s, and I think he might have been fishing for an answer there. I don't know. I think you wanted me to say him, right? So I was tempted, I was tempted to be a little snarky and say, well, Owen Guy and Joe Bryan and Harold Goodwin, three incredible ministers who had worked with Roy and I back in the 90s at Lindenwood. But to be perfectly honest, as a young minister that was out of seminary at the time, working alongside Roy was this opportunity to engage in this incredibly creative ministry, to try new things, to ask lots of questions, to give input, to learn from mistakes, and impact lots of other people's lives. And so when, when I later planted a church in West Tennessee and then pastored a church for 14 years, 
there probably wasn't a day, a single day, that I didn't ask myself, WWRD, what would Roy do? But I was also blessed to have a father who was a, a man of incredible and consistent character. And so his portrait hangs in my office as a reminder. Dad was a person of profound and simple faith. He did not, he never got lost in things that, that didn't matter. He always had a way of keeping the main thing the main thing. And he stands now in my cloud of witnesses as that, that godly person I want to be. So the act of giving thanks for someone is an act of honoring and memorializing someone who has impacted your life in a powerful way. But another thing we can do is be mindful of the change that Jesus has made in your life. So how does your relationship with Christ make your heart yearn for the things that, that Paul talks about in Philippians that are noble and honorable and true? So I remember being in seminary, and when we would go to chapel, we'd listen to different chapel speakers, and some of them were students who were in class with us. And I remember I used to be envious of those speakers who had these powerful, earth-shaking testimonies of who they were before and after Christ. And so if theirs was this more microwave testimony of radical change, my story was more like a crockpot where you start it slow in the day and finish it up late that evening. Because there wasn't just one time in my life that changed, but there were hundreds of times where I felt the nudge of love and grace. And I think those stories are probably more common to us all. As we look to our past, we see God moving through lots of people and places and experiences to bring us to where we are now. And the good news is that God is not finished with that work. One of my favorite Bible verses is Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will see it to completion until the day that Jesus comes. And I love that. It reminds me that God is still at work, that I am a work in progress. And sometimes, sometimes I just need to give myself the grace to let God do the work that God wants to do. So this Memorial Day weekend, I want you to try this as a spiritual practice. Write down a couple of ways that you have experienced God's love and grace in a way that has changed how you show love and grace to others. So a third spiritual practice, I think, for this Memorial Day weekend is also this. It's to, to look around and look ahead to how Jesus ministers through you. So last week in the bridge, Clay talked about how God uses our past experiences of growth and grace to minister healing to the people who are near to us. And it's true. And I think it was Ann Stauffer who said right, that, that, that in God's world, in God's economy, nothing gets wasted. And I love that, that God uses everything. And it reminds me that God sees my life from a perspective that I cannot see. And our being here and being in this place and in this time could very well be a missional assignment that we have from God. 
There are people who are hungry to hear our story of renewal. They want to know our Pentecost experience. And it may just be that they need to know that God is doing something real and new in their own life. And telling our story gives credence that we live in a universe where God is alive and active and cares about God's creation. And so this leads nicely, I think, into the, the last spiritual practice for Memorial Day, and that's just this, and that is to pray, and to pray how you can welcome others to join you on the journey to, to together be the body of Christ. Because we are never doing this kingdom ministry alone. We are always doing it alongside others, and, and not, not always alongside others of our own choosing. God sometimes has other plans. And what God has called us to is different from, from any other human organization that has ever existed. It really is. We are here because God first called us. God extended to us God's grace. God took the initiative. God spoke to our spirits and God pronounced forgiveness. And now God equips us for mission. And that is who we are. The body of Christ sent into the world with the healing presence of Christ. And each day is an adventure, an exploration to grow into that calling and to become the blessing that we were created by God to become. And the joy of this adventure is to discover what God is up to, what plans that God has for this body of Christ, whom God has pulled together for this season of ministry. So look around. These are the people that God has called together with you to go on a journey to carry the hope and life of Christ to the world. And for that we say, praise be to God. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we are thankful for an outpouring of your spirit and gifts on this church so that we could grow into being together the body of Christ. We pray that like that experience in Acts chapter two that um, we will dream dreams and see a vision of how we can bring the healing presence of Christ to the hurt and brokenness around us. And how in our simply living out the presence of Christ together in community, we can speak life we can invite and welcome people into a place of joy, and together we can call upon your name as God, a God who saves us, we pray, through Christ our Lord, and all of God's people said, amen.